If you have your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 1, be turning there. This wonderful book of the Bible, it's a great summary of theology and doctrine and just three short chapters and a great summary of how a disciple should live his life each and every day. I highly recommend it. If you're looking for a book to read, read just six chapters every day for 30 days and just saturate your heart and mind with all the truths that we find here in the book of Ephesians. It will be a blessing for you. Today, we're coming to the end of our study formally of all the attributes of God. And yet, what's amazing, even as we come to the end of that study, we realize that we haven't exhausted our understanding of who God is. He is infinitely beyond anything you and I could ever imagine. And so there's more to learn about God. And I believe that's why we have eternity to look forward to and learn. Just all the other things that we haven't yet discovered. I mean, there's not enough words in, in the pages of this Bible right here to tell us everything about Him. And that's the exciting thing in our pursuit of him. If you could figure him out, then he really isn't God. And he wouldn't be worth worshiping. But he is. And we've gleaned and learned a lot about who he is. And, and our attributes that we've studied, all these attributes that we've walked through since January. How do you conclude that? How do you summarize all that when you go and pull a systematic theology off the shelf and you see what those theologians have done? Oftentimes... When, when they get to the end of their study of the doctrine of God, who He is and what He's like, they'll conclude it with this attribute. This is kind of the summary attribute in some ways. I mean, how do you express who God is and what He's like when you take account all of those attributes that we've studied? What one word summarizes this God perfectly? I mean, he's the God who is self-existent. He didn't need anything. He always has been. He's self-sufficient. He, he's infinite and incomprehensible. He's so much beyond us. And yet, though he's transcendent up there, he's also imminent down here, involved in our lives, intimate with our lives, aware of everything that's going on. He's omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent. You can't flee from his presence. I mean, what word summarizes this awesome God. I mean, he's immutable, he's unchanging, he's holy, righteous, he's gracious and merciful, wrathful and loving. What word could summarize the conclusion of this God in the study of him? He's glorious, he's light, he's good, he's awesome, he's wise and true and faithful. He's the one that's sovereign, he's a person and a spirit, he's jealous and beautiful. What word could summarize this understanding of him? He's compassionate and long-suffering, impartial and kind. The eternal creator that is, gives life and is life himself. Invisible, though we can't see him. Genuine and perfect. What one word summarizes all that we've studied, all that we've learned about God, all that we stop and we just say, awesome. What word is it? Well, when they, the, those theologians concluded their study, they said, you know what? There's only one word that can summarize all that. He is the God who is blessed. He's the most blessed God. There is to be in a blessed state means to be you're in a perfect state. You have no need of anything. You have everything. And that's what blessed it means. And when you see and read in scripture, there's only twice that you find that affirmed of God or spoken of him in that way. Most of the times we know about blessings. We want them. Amen. We understand that it's good to be blessed to live in a particular way, but when it speaks of God being blessed in this way, 
as the most blessed God. It's only twice that we find it in the book of 1 Timothy. Paul speaks of, of his own responsibility to share the good news, the gospel. And he says, you know, the glorious gospel of the blessed God was entrusted to him. In other words, the good news that God wants to bless you and me in this world with eternal life, forgiveness of our sins, and a relationship with Him, that's good news for us, and it's good news because the blessed God didn't owe it to us. And he had it all. He doesn't need anything. He's, he's totally complete in and of Himself, and yet the blessed God gave us a blessed good news to hear this morning. It's what we'll celebrate in just a moment. Paul would later say in 1 Timothy chapter 6 that Jesus one day is going to come at his own time. No one knows when that is, though it certainly looks, when I read the news and look on the horizon, you're like, man, could it be now? Could it be soon? But he says he is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Paul ascribes under, under God that he is the blessed God. And so when we stop and think about that, and theologians do, what do they mean by that? God's eternal blessedness means this. He alone is infinitely, eternally, and unchangeably happy and joyful. He is in the most blessed state. He's supremely satisfied in himself, completely in harmony with himself. He has no sorrows. And that's difficult for us to understand because we live in an imperfect world. Amen? We, we see imperfections all around us. Now, don't point to your spouse right now. Amen? All right? No, we point to ourselves when we look into the mirror of the Word. And the mirror of the Word shows us that there's a perfect God in a blessed state, but we are in the most pitiful state. But we want His blessings. We realize we need His blessings. We realize that, that some of us are striving to find a blessed state. Striving to find a perfect relationship. Trying to find a perfect situation where we'll be blessed and we'll be at peace and in harmony and enjoying all of being blessed. And yet the reality is, as we pursue that and look to it, it's only God who possesses that in the perfection of his being. He's never dissatisfied with himself. He's never dissatisfied with anything. I mean, just stop and think about how you and I don't live that way. We see our imperfections all the time. We try to cover them up. We try to make excuses for them. We don't live in a blessed state. Only God does. And what I need to realize and understand is I don't live in that state. He does. But the amazing thing is he offers me to be a part of that with him. To come and be in right relationship with him and then dwell in a place where there will be forever blessedness. I'm looking forward to that day. In fact, worshipers, when they went to worship, when you look in the Old Testament, there was a realization when you went to the tabernacle or when you went to the temple. The priests who served there had a responsibility to pronounce God's blessing on his people. Why would they pronounce God's blessing on his people? Because he's the most blessed God. He's the source of all blessings, so it just makes sense. And so over in Numbers, you can read there in Numbers 6, verses 24 through 26, the, the, the blessing that was commanded for Aaron and his sons to pronounce on God's people. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you shalom, give you peace. I mean, you came to worship to know you were safe, to know you were secure, to know that you were blessed, to know that God's favor was upon you, to know that he, he would look upon you with a lifted up countenance. 
And when you leave worship, that's how you should feel. You should recognize, man, I came in the most pitiful estate, but he take thought of me. He considered me. He, and, and he did something to make it possible for, for my life to be transformed and be made new. In fact, in the Old Testament, not just in the New Testament, you find these beatitudes that you and I can be in a position, in a state of being, because we're in right relationship with Him. I love it. In the Psalms, there's numerous beatitudes there, though we don't think about beatitudes in the, New, in the Old Testament. We think about them in the New Testament. And yet over in Psalm 1, there's a beatitude. If you and I will reject what the world has to say and embrace joyfully what the Word says then, and build our life that way, meditating on it, you can live in a blessed state by the blessed God. In fact, when we don't do that, I love that, that there's that one in Psalm 1, that beatitude, but there's also one in Psalm 32, that there's a blessingness for those who sin, even when you are a man after God's own heart like David. There's a beatitude for being forgiven. Praise God for that today. In fact, what's amazing is you go over to Psalm 84 and there's three beatitudes in that psalm. The blessedness of being and dwelling in the presence of God in his house. The blessedness of finding your strength in the Lord for the journey. The blessedness, the beatitude of the one who simply trusts in him. These beatitudes are all throughout the scriptures. Of course, when you get to the New Testament, Jesus, when he started his Sermon on the Mount over in Matthew chapter 5, he listed 10 Beatitudes. These are the attitudes of disciples who, who, who want to live this way. And the only way we live this way is we're in right relationship with the most blessed God. What are those attitudes? Well, they're poor in spirit. They're those who mourn, those who are meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, those who show mercy. Those who are pure in spirit, those who are peacemakers, those who are the persecuted for his namesake. In fact, you say, man, I wish I'd heard that sermon and been on that mountain. I certainly want to have been one of those who chose to be blessed. But Pastor Chris, I don't see Jesus and I, I, don't, I don't know him like, like they did. Oh, really? Jesus said this, blessed are those who, who have not seen and yet believe. You see, there's a blessedness, a beatitude. There's a blessing that God has for us. That's just his nature. And it comes because he's the most blessed God. This is the amazing thing. He is fully actualized, one has said. He lacks nothing he desires because his attributes all gloriously harmonize with one another. He needs nothing, possesses everything, and is free from evil and able, possesses and is able to do all good. Nothing can make God envious or jealous. Nothing can make him better than he is. And yet for you and for me, we don't possess that. We lack that. We're we're prone to dissatisfaction. We're prone to be sad. We're prone to be in sorrow. We're prone to have envy and jealousy. And, and, And contrary to our state of being, he is never in that state. And yet he says to you and me, stop pursuing Uh, that blessedness apart from me in a relationship, in a new job, in a new home, in a new situation, whatever. If you try to find that blessed state apart from the God who is most blessed, you will never find it. You'll never find the joy. You'll never find the happiness. You'll never find shalom, peace, until you and I are in right relationship with the God who is eternally blessed. Now what's amazing is, We stand in need of that blessing of God. We stand in need of his blessedness. 
And as you receive it, it should evoke within you and with me a desire to want to praise him and magnify him, to celebrate him, to have lips that bless him. And that's what Paul does here in Ephesians chapter 1. What's fascinating is this is one sentence from verse 3 all the way to verse 14 in the Greek. Over 200 Greek words that are just there. Paul, he got busy, y'all. He had a spell, some would say, right? He said, man, let me tell you about God. Let me tell you about the Most High God. That is the God of blessedness who has blessed me and blessed you. And he's blessed all of us. And we need to celebrate it today. In fact, I want you to stand. I'm only at time to read the first three verses just to focus on, uh, I'm sorry, on verses three through six, these four verses. So we can just focus on the beatitudes, the blessedness that God has and gives to you and to me. And to celebrate that as we approach the Lord's table this morning. Paul says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which... He made us accepted in the beloved. Father, may we celebrate the blessings. May we have a good word to speak today because you have richly blessed us. It's who you are. You are the God most blessed. And Lord, may we count these blessings, cherish these blessings, remind ourselves of these blessings as we navigate this world, this imperfect world, and we see imperfection all around us and realize God will only find that blessedness when we're right with you. And Lord, if someone before me is not right with you this morning, Lord, then I pray your spirit would speak to their heart in such a way that they would, Lord, cry out for grace and mercy because it's available to any who will call on you. Lord, you keep your word and any whosoever will call on the name of the Lord can be saved. And Lord, I pray that would happen even today. Lord, we give thanks as we approach this table because we realize we've been blessed. And Lord, may we cherish that each and every day. It's in Jesus' name we all pray. And all God's people say amen and amen. Paul offering up a prayer of praise. It's a form of praise as he prays to the Lord and, and just said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Three times right here just in verse one, we verse 3 we find that word bless. We bless our God and Father who has blessed us. And what has he blessed us with? Every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. You see, Paul's just praising the Father. In fact, he's going to praise the Son. He's going to praise the, whole, praise the Holy Spirit. Why? Because the three are one. And all three have worked in an amazing way to bring redemption for us. There's cause and reason when you come to worship, when we enter into his house, to bless his name for there to be a eulogy, a good word on our tongue. And that's literally the Greek words. You is the, the preface for good and logos is the word. And so you speak a good word, you bless him. By the way, Hebrews chapter 13, that's what the sacrifice God really wants is the fruit of those lips that say, thank you. God, you've been good. You've blessed me. There's much that I can praise you for today, and I can bless you. And it's just who he is. He's the God who blesses, because he's the most blessed God. 
and, and the blessings that he flows into your life and my life. Again, I don't have time to go through the work of the Son, the work of the Spirit. But at the conclusion of each section, from verse 3 down through 6, from verse 7 down to verse uh, 12, at the conclusion of all, what's amazing is God blesses to the praise of his glory. He, he does this for his glory. He does it in such a way that it works as it'll be repeated over in verse 5, 9, 11. All of this is according to the good pleasure of his will. All three working in unison to bring this blessed state to you and to me. Why? Because that was lost in the garden. Man, woman living in right relationship with the creator. And God had to redeem. And God, he didn't owe that to us, but praise God, he blessed us and he made that possible. And Paul's just blessing the God who blesses. He's blessed us with spiritual blessings. We often think about the material blessings. But don't be too tied to this world. Don't set your, your anchors down, your roots down here, and, and hold on to this world too much. It ain't got much to offer. Amen? No, 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 no. We have spiritual blessings. They're blessings in the heavenlies. We've been blessed and chosen We've been destined or predestined. We've been lavished with grace. God has opened our eyes and made known to us the mystery of his will. And, and he's accomplishing all these things according to his purpose. We're not surprised that Paul starts with blessing the Father for all of his blessings in our life, all the spiritual blessings. Why? Because James would tell us over in James chapter 1 and verse 17 that every good and perfect gift comes where? From the Father. It rains down into our life. Listen, every time you see the rain, whether it's a little sprinkle or whether it's a downpour, you should say thank you, God, for your blessings. Because that rain is a constant reminder. Praise God, I bless the Lord who is blessing and caring for his creation. And I bless the God who rains goodness into my life. And I bless the God for that word that he speaks into my life that is transforming my life, renewing my mind, shaping me, molding me into the image of his Son. These blessings are ours because of the Son. These blessings are all rained down and, and, and they're in Christ Jesus. They're in Him. Frequently, He's going to say that if we had time to go through all the way down through verse 14. All of these blessings we enjoy today are in Christ, in Him, in the Beloved, in the Loved One. They're, they're in Him. Your identity, my identity is in Christ. If we're coming to this table, that's what we're declaring. Everything that I have in my blessed state and my blessed walk and the blessedness that I'm looking for to a place called heaven, all of that is available to me in Christ. It looks like we're at a funeral when you come into the Lord's Supper and you see the elements that are there underneath that cloth. And, and there is a reminder, someone died. Someone gave his life for me. Someone died so that I might have life because I was dead. I was in a pitiful state and so were you. But this one came and gave his life so that we could be blessed. He's the most blessed God that did that. In fact, we are in Christ. Not only Paul writing to the church in Ephesus, he reminds them even back up in verse 1 that they're the saints not only who are in Ephesus, but they're also in Christ Jesus. You see, our identity is in a physical location here on this earth, but praise God, it's also in a spiritual location, a place called heaven. And because he's there, we're there. And that's a celebration that you and I should have each and every day because we have victory in him. These blessings are ours not only because they start or originate with the Father, but as it says in verse 4, notice this, that these blessings that Paul's praising you for are, are tied to his election of us. Don't be scared by that. If the scripture says it, you better shout it. You better celebrate it. What does it mean, though, to be chosen in him? 
What's fascinating is that choice is that we are in Him. That we would be chosen to find our identity in Christ. And all that happened when? Before the foundation of the world. Step back, stop, think for a moment. Before I chose Him, He chose me. Before there was anything on this earth, before there even was an earth, before the foundation was laid, guess what? God already knew it all. Peter would say it over in 1 Peter, that according to his foreknowledge, he did all this work. He knows everything, the beginning and the end. He knows all things. And he has chosen. Why did he chose us? He chose us to be in him, that we should be holy and without blame before him. I don't know about you, but this week I realized some of my imperfections. Even this morning, I stumble. I fall short of the glory of God. And I realize I'm not always in the most blessed state in myself. But in Christ, I'm forgiven. My future is heaven. Praise God for what he's done. Amen? Now, you've got to preach that to yourself when you're not in church on Sunday morning or Wednesday night or... When you're not, you've got to remind yourself of the gospel. You have to remind yourself what Christ has done for you. And don't let the world, don't let the devil, don't let some, some godless person try to distract you and get you away from truth in Christ. We've been chosen by the Father in Him. Now, His choice means this. Check this out. If He chooses, that means He's sovereign. Which is precisely what Paul said to Timothy about the most blessed God and potentate or sovereign the king of kings and lord of lords our god's on his throne we learned that a long time ago he does whatever he pleases he's the one who's sovereign he's in control of all things he knows everything that's happening in his creation he rules over it all and if anything does happen in his creation he's in control of it that doesn't mean he did it he's not the author of evil but it does mean he permits it to accomplish his will he gives us the ability to choose. And, and, and what's amazing with those choices are consequences. And the amazing thing to me is the sovereignty of God and, and his, his election and choice of us and, and everything that he's done is he freely, he gives choice and freedom to agents in creation, whether they're angels or human beings, and they make choices and yet he still accomplishes all of his purposes. How, how amazing is our God to be able to do that? I can't comprehend that in my little peanut brain. I, I try to understand it. But, you know, I'll ask a lot of questions when I get to heaven. Right now, I just trust and rest in him and what I've learned about him. But these are essential to understand that God is in control and he does not cause all things because he's not the author of evil, but he permits or allows a level of freedom. But that, and that includes the freedom to rebel, a freedom to say no, a freedom to reject. And yet, though he does that, he is not the author of evil. You see, he doesn't call, choose us and bless us in that way to do that. He blesses us to be holy and blameless. To, to, to be holy and without blame before him in love. I mean, it's amazing. His intention has always been to create a people that would live in perfect conformity to him. And that's what he's doing. As it says in Romans 8, 28, those whom he predestined, he predestined them to do what? To be conformed to the image of his son. You see, your identity is in Christ. My identity is in Christ. And what God desires is that you and I become more like Jesus each and every day. And the good work, praise God, that he began, he will complete. So much so that he who elected us and chose us and adopted us and made us his family, one day, praise God, he's going to glorify us and will arrive. Come, Lord Jesus, come. 
But that's not the only blessing. There's still more. I mean, the blessing that he has adopted us to be his children. We've been predestined to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself. Now, what's fascinating is, what does adoption mean? Well, a lot of people think, well, that means we become the children of God. And in Scripture, there's these two pictures of God's adoption or birthing a family. We're born again by the work of the Spirit, John chapter 3. But we're also adopted into his family, we euthasia. And this term, I was going to do my PhD on it. But um, it's fascinating. Someone else wrote it before I could do. So anyways, but, but it's a fascinating term because the, pip, the evidence that you and I have been adopted as the children of God is not revealed according to book of Romans chapter 8 until the, the resurrection from the dead. That gives evidence everybody who is a true, authentic son of God and daughter of God. And praise God that that's going to happen because of this right here, what we celebrate right here. We're not just celebrating a death. Praise God we're celebrating a resurrection. Because he said, listen, I'm going to give you this cup. And when you drink of this cup, this is the cup of the new covenant. It's in my blood. And and you know what? I'm not going to drink of that cup until you're with me in heaven. And every day, Paul says that you and I proclaim the bread and and the cup and what Christ has done. We do that until he comes. Y'all, he rose from the dead. He sent it to the right hand of the Father. One day he's coming back. And your identity and my identity, when we're raised from the dead, praise God, we will be, our adoption will be ever evident to everyone. And we will be the children of God. And all of this was according to his good pleasure. You see, when, when God redeemed his people, he always redeems them out of bondage. The picture, of course, the, the archetype for us is the Exodus event. What God did for his people who were in bondage in Egypt. They were there in slavery and they cried out, God send us a deliverer. And that picture, that awesome work of God of redemption. Uh, Paul or Hosea would write it this way. And he would say, out of Is- you know, Egypt or Israel I have called, out of Egypt I have called my son. When he redeemed his people, of course he redeemed them because the Messiah was going to come through them. And they were a blessed people. But the blessing was theirs because of the Messiah. And the blessing is ours because of the Messiah. That's what he says over in chapter 2. The dividing wall between Jew and Greek has been erased. Praise God, we're now one people, the people of God, who've come into right relationship with him. And all that's possible through the blood of Christ that's been shed for you and for me. The amazing thing is that blessing that is ours is now we've been adopted as sons. And if we're sons, and that implies that, you know what, there's a father. And we have one that we now relate to. And praise God, he's not just some almighty creator force. No, he's not, not that to us. He, he, yes, he is a redeemer. He, he, he's, a, he's a master. He's a, a lord. But, but he's the king who reigns. But the intimacy that's implied by this term, we're his children. He's our father. We, 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 can, we, we can come and, and, and say, Abba, Father, because the Spirit enables us to do that now. We're in a blessed position. And, and, and as a good father, what does he enjoy doing? As the blessed father, what does he enjoy doing? He enjoys blessing. Praise God for that this morning. Praise God that we can celebrate that. We've been adopted to him to be part of his family. And we've been adopted for his glory The emphasis is on the grace that he gives us. And and so that as we've accepted and received the glory of that grace, we we can praise him and glorify him. And we should do that each and every day. Now see, we're coming to this table and what we're acknowledging today is, you know what? We were in the most pitiful state. We needed God's blessing. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it. He didn't owe it to anyone in this room. 
anyone in this world. He did it because of his glory and because of his name and because of what he said he would do in the garden. And he did it. Listen, there's a cosmic reason behind it. He did it to crush that serpent's head. And he did it. Praise God. In fact, the amazing thing as we approach this table is what we realize is in our flesh, we're imperfect. And and it's only in Christ that we can be made whole. We come because we know we live in in, in not the most blessed state. And I don't mean the United States of America. I mean just our daily walk in life. And our relationships aren't always blessed. And our work isn't always blessed. And our homes aren't always blessed. But we come to this table realizing, God, we need your blessing. We need your grace. We, we need you to change us in all of those things. But it's a common thing in all those. It's us in our sinful state. And what we need is your grace. And what we realize is that sacrifice, that body that was broken, that makes that grace available to us all today. And so we humbly acknowledge that, that we will never find that blessed state this side of heaven apart from a relationship with God. And we realize that, that that's what we've entered into. And as his disciples, now we want to we live for his kingdom and his righteousness.